Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Welcome back, 365 Sports. Paul Catalina, Grayson Grudefer, Sikkim365.com recruiting analyst. And Grayson, uh, this they're mired in a six-game losing streak. And look, you almost got your flowers last week as they almost pulled off a huge upset uh, of Utah that did not happen. They are, Baylor is on a six-game skid dating back to last year, and all six games are different. How do they get out of this funk this week against LIU notwithstanding because that's a game that while they should get a little confidence back, it's not one that really is probably going to show us a whole lot about who they are. I mean, yeah, that's very true, Paul. I mean, just the simple fact that LIU is the worst team by far that they've played during this stretch. But on the flip side, you know, you got to break losing streaks. And so it doesn't really matter, honestly, who it is against. I think this team needs to kind of just, you know, remember winning again. You know what I mean? Like, that is a big deal. And that is something that does take time. And we saw, you know, even last weekend against Utah, we saw a team that I don't, that I think, you can tell has not won in a while and being able to finish games, being able to close out opponents. And when you're given an opportunity to win games, you take advantage of it. And Baylor wasn't able to do that despite having a double digit lead in the second half, despite you know pretty much dominating that game through three quarters, but being unable to do the little things like scoring touchdowns in the red zone and, taking advantage when you get opportunities to put an opponent away they couldn't do that so I do think this week is very important as far as a team morale standpoint as far as coming out and actually winning a game and also working on things right I mean we saw Baylor play a really bad game against Texas State and then have to turn around and play a top 10 team in Utah and I know people may say oh they're they're not a top 10 team with those quarterbacks okay but if you look at the rankings they are they're like number 12 in the country right now and when they get Cam Rising back, that's going to be a Pac-12 contender. So Baylor kind of got thrown into the fire a little bit, and I thought performed really well. But now you got to be able to stack weeks 
can you come out this week with the same intensity, same focus, put Long Island away by halftime, and then go into next week against Texas with at least a little bit of momentum, a little bit of more of a, an idea of who you are, a true identity of a team, and then come out and be able to stack that performance. How nervous are you about Sawyer Robertson's ankle? Not in so far as he's not going to play, but like he's he had a little bit of an injury last week. They still they've got to play this game this week, and if he's hurt at all and misses any time, then they're going to have a little bit of time with a third string walk on as their quarterback as they jump into the teeth of their schedule. Well, I, I mean, I guess I'll start with Sawyer in that regard. I think he's going to be fine this week. I do think it was more of a tweak and more of a, a low ankle sprain. You know, high ankle sprains usually take a lot longer to heal. This one doesn't seem like it was something severe and seems like it was something uh, more of the low ankle sprain variety. So I, I think he's going to be fine. You know, maybe they don't run him as much this week, which truthfully they should need to. They should be able to turn around and hand the ball off, run RBO, run Dominic Richardson, run with Richard Reese run with even the freshman running backs as well. Um, so I'm not too worried about it from that standpoint. And as far as the Texas game, if he is asked to be the starting quarterback for that game, I think he's probably going to be very close to 100%. Now, if he does have issues or if something does happen, or even if they just are blowing out Long Island by halftime, I do think that we will see some RJ Martinez in this game. And RJ is a good player. I know he's a walk-on, but he started two years at Northern Arizona. And while that's not an FBS team, it's an FCS team. He was very, very competitive and very solid there, and they're playing an FCS team this week. So I don't think he's going to have any problem making plays and getting through this matchup. But you are right. For the Texas game, they're going to need either a healthy Sawyer Robertson or maybe a healthy Blake Shapin, as Dave Randa said uh, this week, that he's just listed as questionable, uh, which was not something that we had heard originally. It seemed like it was going to be more so, you know, maybe questionable for the UCF game. But to hear that the timeline has maybe moved up a little bit is rather interesting. So, Grayson, how has this six-game skid affected recruiting, if it has yet? I think that a lot of times people look at just kind of little portions and little windows and decide that they're going to turn it into kind of like this thing that's truly impacting the entire program into where it's just they're unable to function recruiting, they're unable to function on the field, all these different things. But to be honest, there's ebbs and flows with every program. And so I don't think that this kid has really drastically impacted anything from a recruiting standpoint. They're still recruiting the same guys that they were. They're still after the same guys that they were. And they still have interest from the same guys that they, you know, had that original interest in and had on official visits. And they still haven't lost commits uh, in this recent time period either. So, you know, for me, the more that I look at it, the more that I think, hey, you know what? I think things are going to be just fine for them to close out this class. Um, I will also say I don't believe that Austin Novosad's, you know, his decision to go to Oregon was necessarily just indicative on Baylor struggling at the end of the year. Uh, there were other factors at play there. So in general, I don't think it's done a whole lot. Um, it definitely hasn't propelled them forward uh, by any means, but I don't think it's really set them back too much either. They just need to get things, you know, kind of turning in the right direction because as we all know, you do have to win games to recruit at a high level, especially if you are Baylor. So if you come out this year and you end up, you know, three and nine or four and eight, yeah, maybe that's, you know, that, that's not good. And that could definitely impact things. But if they're able to, you know, turn things around, make a bowl game, something along those lines, I really don't think you're going to see too many ill effects from it.
How much do you think that, I mean, this is kind of a tenuous time, obviously you got to win games, but recruiting wise, they're, they're in a bit of a, 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 I don't want to say a dead zone, but like they're in this, they're stuck in the middle of, you know, some schools could turn on the NIL faucet like right away and, and make sure that that was taken care of. And I don't think that's the biggest deal, but a school like Baylor's smaller. So there has to be more incremental steps to where a school like A&M is just like, oh yeah, we were doing this back in the eighties. Like you would not believe just us off this old play playbook for it as where it wasn't the same way at, at, at Baylor. Uh, and you know, the, they've got their one year down on the transfer portal. I think they you know, obviously went more in this year and got over a dozen transfers, but, you know, didn't use it a year ago, and that's probably hurting them a bit now, especially for those guys who would be kind of helping them more right now. So they're in this little weird spot when it comes to recruiting where they're trying to build up, but it's not easy just to, to turn things on and off. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And and I think, you know, kind of they're working with a lot of things and a lot of factors right now. So obviously Baylor loves the commits that they have in this class, but this class is going to be smaller. And so when you look at recruiting rankings, yeah, they might not be a top two team or a top three team. They're gonna they're looking at the bottom of the conference I know right now, but they're not gonna take very many commits this cycle and that's by design. And so, you know, if they get to twenty, I would be a little surprised. I think it's gonna be more around like 17 or 18, which means not very many spots left. And a big reason for that is they have their primary targets. They have the guys that they're looking at, and they're really focused on those guys. But then the second part is the transfer portal. They have to make sure that there's plenty of room for them to go into the transfer portal and evaluate talent and bring talent onto this roster. Because I think we saw this year a shift. They took a lot of transfers, and I do think by the end of the year we're going to look at that and say, wow, you know, those transfers really helped. They did a lot for this team. But I will also say there were opportunities to take more advantage of the transfer portal. And I don't believe, and I think Baylor, you know, simply did not take advantage of it. And if you look at certain areas, I mean, if Baylor had one more offensive lineman who was a transfer, they'd probably be Texas State because they just simply were not good up front. And they made changes for the second game, and it definitely helped them against Utah. But if you had an experienced veteran, uh, on the offensive line added, you might have won that game. And so that's one instance, or, you know, the Ajani Carter part of it. You know, if they had another cornerback, that definitely would have helped against Texas State as well, and maybe against Utah. So there's a lot of areas that I think we look at and feel like they probably could have addressed. And I think next offseason, you're going to see them probably take even more of an aggressive approach to the transfer portal, uh, even though I do think they took a pretty aggressive one this year. Yeah, you know, it looks so, like – a couple of players can swing things either way. Look, Sam Hartman going to Notre Dame might swing things away from a school like Alabama this year just because they weren't able to get a good quarterback. So it's not just Baylor who's dealing with, you know, missed out on one or two transfers, and now their their program is 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 stuck a little bit. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, I mean, it, like I said, it's very simple. You watch the Texas state game and I mean you can't tell me that if they had a veteran pretty good offensive lineman added to the roster for that game that they don't win that game like they just they simply could not block at all in that game and then also if they had taken another secondary player like an Ajani Carter again like they literally they couldn't stop a pass they couldn't get off the field on third down you have another guy like that playing safety or corner it could have made all the difference in the world so you're exactly right those things can impact games that as we've seen through the first two games, if you had 
another transfer here, another transfer there, I do think you could make a reasonable argument that Baylor's sitting here at 2-0. and Yeah, absolutely. Grayson Grunday for Sikkim365.com. Recruiting analyst, Grayson, have a good time at the game tomorrow. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great weekend. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.